Good morning. For the last few weeks, I've thought about presenting this lesson. And on Thursday night, when uh, Tina and I were about to go to bed, she asked me, she said, what are you preaching on? And when I told her, she said, ooh, <laughs> that's not a good sign. And I said, well, I think it'll be all right. And her thought was, the Sunday before Christmas, why are you presenting a depressing lesson? And I told her, I think it'll have a good ending. And so if you are wondering why I'm going where I'm going, stay with me. Don't go to sleep. In the past six weeks, we've had a difficult time. On November the 13th in Paris, 130 people died and at least 368 were injured in a terrible terrorist attack. On December the 2nd in San Bernardino, California, we all know and are aware of the terrorist shooting that took place where Farouk and Tashfin Malik killed 14 and injured many more. That situation is extremely difficult for me and intriguing to me in a lot of ways because the story of a wife or a young woman who would seek out a husband in the United States and marry him and radicalize him and then to have a child with him and on that particular morning take that child to the grandparent and leave that child that she had carried for nine months and given birth to and no doubt had an unbelievable emotional attachment with, left that child to go on that suicide mission. Now, how does somebody get to that point? That's difficult for me to understand. We are going into what is typically a very celebrated time of year. However, a time of year in which, to a degree, there is unrest and uneasiness because of the events of the recent weeks as we travel and possibly as we fly, we're reminded of what could happen. We wonder about what the situation will be. Where is this headed? Where are we going? And so this morning as we begin the thoughts of the lesson, the question I have is, can we be at peace during times of unrest and during times of adversity? And if so, where does it come from? Another question we might ask is, how do we feel about the overall condition of the world? How do I feel about the United States? How do I feel about the state of Tennessee or the county of Murray or the city of Columbia? How do I feel about the community in which I live? Where are we going? Where is this headed? What is my feeling based on all that is going on in our world? And the third question might be, are times worse than ever and should we be in despair? It is not at all my place to get into politics from the pulpit, but the presidential election this time is one like never before. <laughs> It doesn't matter on which side of the line we fall. This one is interesting. And I expect for most of us there is concern. Why? Well, we're not exactly sure who, when. We're not exactly how it's going to land. These indeed are interesting times. And so let's talk about where we are today. And again, hopefully this will end in a good way. Number one, I will admit this morning 
that our world is a messed up world. I will admit that our world is a messed up world. Just in my lifetime, to name a few, I remember the Monday evening that President Nixon came on television and announced that the Vietnam War would soon be over. I remember the afternoon that President Ronald Reagan was shot. In my lifetime, I have seen, we have seen the legalization of abortion in Roe versus Wade. Recently, we have seen the removal of prayer in public schools. More recently, the teaching of Islam in schools. The legalization of homosexual marriages. Even recently, the legalization of recreational marijuana. When I was 20, had you told me some of these things would take place in my lifetime, I would not have believed you. So how does that make us feel? And then, of course, there was 9-11. We all remember vividly, if we were alive at that point, where we were when we first learned on that morning of what had happened. Eventually, 2,977 people would be killed or would die as a result of the attacks. And so many thousands of individuals were injured. I will never forget that morning. I had gone to my office at Freed Hardeman, and one of the other staff members came in and said, have you seen what's happened? And I said, no, I've not. We turned on the television to see the news. I went to my 9 o'clock Life of Christ class, and about four or five minutes after 9, I received a call to come and discuss how we would handle the day and how we would handle chapel at 10.30. And I remember so clearly, as though it were yesterday, walking from Gardner Center to Lloyd, walking beside Old Bader Gymnasium, and I remember exactly where I was beside that building when I had the thought, what's going on? What will we do? Where is this headed? How is life going to change? Even will there be life? We didn't know. And it would end, at least that, por- that portion of the attacks would end. And for most of us, life pretty well continued much in the same way. But it was a difficult time. And as I prepared for this lesson, and as I thought about 9-11 and remembering some of the events, a word a theme kept emerging that we will see as we continue in the thoughts of the day, and that is the word prosperity. And you're asking, no doubt, how does the word prosperity come as a theme when we look at all these negatives and all these difficult things that are taking place? Sometime right before chapel, one of the news reporters from Channel 7 on that particular day of 9-11 came to me and said, would you round up a few of your better students that we might interview in preparing a news clip on the events of the day. And I did that. I went to a particular international student, a female, and I asked her, I said, would you mind being interviewed based on how you feel about the events of the day? She responded, catching me off guard by saying, and some of you have heard me tell this, she said, I don't think you want me to be interviewed. And she was a smart student, a very strong Christian, very impressive. 
It surprised me, and I asked her, why are you saying that? Why do you feel that way? And she responded to me by saying, for those of us who are not from the United States, there's part of us that feels today like now America understands how the rest of us live. Well, that hit me pretty hard. And I've been reminded of that often through the years as I've seen over and over again of the acts of terrorism, the acts of organized crime, the acts of difficulty that take place throughout the world. And indeed, we live in a prosperous land. We live in a land that is wealthy, that is powerful, and terrorists are envious of the wealth and the power of our country. That is the case, isn't it? And in that sense, as Americans, we are truly a blessed people. However, the challenge is for us to not allow prosperity to take us in the wrong direction. Because both in terms of countries, civilizations, in terms of individuals, we all have seen that prosperity can ruin good people. Therefore, it is important for us to realize the challenge that is involved as we live as prosperous people. Number two, we are not in new times in that we are lived in a messed up world. Because I will suggest this morning that since Genesis chapter 3, our world has been messed up. And I think we see the reason for this in Ephesians 6 and verse 12 where we see reference to the ruler's of the darkness of this world, our spiritual warfare, the challenges that we have. When Satan entered into the Garden of Eden on that particular day and tempted and caused, encouraged Adam and Eve to give in to that temptation, sin entered the world. And throughout history, from that moment in time, in a sense, the world's been very messed up. I think in one sense, it's a bit of a positive for us to realize that this is not new. It is what we've had. Times get better and worse. I realize that. But it is very much the case that the world, on the most part, has, from Genesis 3, been messed up. For example, let's paint the picture briefly. Genesis chapter 6, very early on. Three chapters later, if you will. The flood. All but eight died. Why? The world was a mess. And God said, I don't like it. A few chapters later in chapter 19 of Genesis, Sodom and Gomorrah. The morality of the people, the wickedness of the day, the difficulty that sin brought to the people. We can move on to Exodus chapter 1. The male Hebrew babies that were killed in an effort to reduce the Hebrew population. If you don't see this as a messed up situation, you imagine being the mother or the father of a male Hebrew child, three months old, when the knock comes on the door. Difficult times. We can look at so many examples of Israel in the wilderness during the 40 years, and then even as they entered into the promised land. On Wednesday night, we looked at the book of Judges and saw those cycles of the children of God drawing near to him, and in prosperity falling away, and in adversity reaching back for him, and this cycle going over and over and over again. And when you look at the big picture, that it's easy to describe that as a 
world that was messed up. We can see the words of Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 3 to 4. He was running from Jezebel. He was in a state of depression. And in verse 3 of 1 Kings 19, we read Elijah was afraid. He ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush. Or the King James Version says, he sat down under the juniper tree. And he prayed that he might die. He said, I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And he goes on down to verse 10, and apparently God didn't answer his prayer immediately, and he continues to ponder his situation of depression. And in verse 10, he continues by saying to God, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They have torn down your altars. They have even put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me also. Elijah certainly was in a bad place because the world was in a bad place. And we might go ahead and see a glimpse of how God told him to handle his difficult situation because as we continue on in that chapter, what we see is God saying, all right, Elijah, you've had your say. Now get up and go to work. You've got things to do. You've got people to influence. You've got a king to anoint. It's okay to express your feelings. And if I were the counselor of Elijah, I would say your feelings are real. Deal with them. It's okay to feel that way. Just don't stay there. And God said, don't stay there. Get up. Deal with them. We can go on to the prophet Jeremiah. How long has it been since you've read the book of Lamentations? <laughs> if you want to be depressed, read the book of Lamentations. That's not something we crave, is it? That feeling at least. Well, that's one chapter after another. Because the Babylonian captivity and the fall of Jerusalem of 586 B.C. You talk about the world being in a mess. When we read the words of Jeremiah and see the details, the vivid details of the people of God and what they were experiencing because they had fallen away from Him, it's very difficult to read. And in Lamentations 5, 19 to 22, You, Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. Why do you always forget us? Why do you forsake us so long? Restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return. Renew our days as of old. Unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure. Well, you see his feeling there, don't you? God, you seem so far away. It seems as though we have no comfort from you. His feelings were real. We can go on to the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 2, again, we have a similar situation to that of the days of the children of God in Egypt. This particular time, Herod is killing all the male babies two years old and younger because he's trying to stop the birth or the life of the Messiah. We can go on to A.D. 70, the destruction of Jerusalem. Jesus foretold it in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 2. When in that verse he said, look around. Any building you see that has two stones mortared together... 
will become unmortared because the day will be so difficult. We can look at more recent times in our history. We could go to World War I or World War II. We could go to the Korean War. We could look at the period of AIDS. We could look at crime in third world countries. <laughs> okay, are we all depressed by now? <laughs> Tina, maybe you were right. <laughs> See, the world has always been a mess. And God's people have always won. God's people have always won. And so the good news is, I'm not in control. And you're not in control. The good news, and it is good news, and it is great news, is that God is in control. On the day after 9-11, on September the 12th, 2001, I was watching a news clip talking about the events of the day, and they were interviewing individuals in New York City. And CNN interviewed this man in Manhattan, and he, with a great deal of anger, and I understand, said, I know who did this, and if I had my way, I would go today and take care of it. And I remember thinking, I'm glad you're not in control. I'm glad you're not in charge. I'm confident this is not going to be nearly as easy as you think it might be. Indeed, I'm glad he was not in charge. So what about this matter of who our next president will be? I didn't watch the debate last night. I chose to watch football. I saw a little this morning about how it went. And again, trying to be careful not to get too far into merging church and state. I'll simply ask the question, how do you feel about where we're going? Are you scared? Are you concerned? Well, I'll admit I'm a little concerned. I don't know exactly how this is going to fall, but I'm not devastated. Why? It does not matter if the most God-hating atheist in the world is in the White House. Because if I will bring up my children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, and if they will bring up their children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, they'll have homes in heaven. And it doesn't matter if the strongest Christian with the strongest faith in the world is in the White House. If I, as a father, don't do my part, then my children will not have homes in heaven. Now, the reality of the situation is my life could very much be affected based on who lands in the White House. I admit that. Nations rise and fall. And the fall of nations is not pleasant. But I'm here to tell us and remind us this morning that God is in charge. And this world is not my home. And the better job I do realizing that, then the better off I will be. My trust is not in my president, my government, my law enforcement, my country. If so, I'm in trouble. And in fact, your trust and your faith is not in your preacher, your ministerial staff. It's not in the faith of your husband or your wife. Why? Because if that's where our trust is, we're all going to be disappointed. 
Our trust and our faith is in God. He will never forsake His promises. He will never let us down. Can adversity hurt? Absolutely. I'm being real this morning. I'm here to say that the enemy can hurt us. Is adversity painful? Is it sometimes life-taking? Yes, it is. Is that something to overlook? No, it's not. What can adversity take from us? Adversity can take from me my possessions. It can take from me my health, my family, even my life. But what can it not take from me? It cannot take from me my soul, my faith, my home in heaven. It can never remove from me the love of God and His ultimate protection. And to illustrate this, I want you to read with me a rather lengthy passage from Psalm 27. In Psalm 27, we see it is believed to be a psalm of David. And as we think about David's life, we see a great change from the shepherd boy to the mighty king of Israel. The one who had the simple life and his acts sewed together to the one who so often had his world messed up, his family messed up. We see him going from the one who is riding on the shoulders of the people because of what he had done in going to battle as the young shepherd boy to the one who is trying to be killed by his very son because of the desire for the throne. So to say David had gone through messes is fair. How did he handle it? Look at Psalm 27 and read it with me. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. Notice verse 4. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. For in the day of trouble He will keep me safe in His dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of His sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, will I seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Though my father, father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and take heart, and wait for the Lord. It is not about here. 
It is not about here. And at age 54, I'm learning that a little better. When I was 16, I didn't grasp it very well. When I was 30, I didn't grasp it very well. And the truth of the matter is, probably at 54, I don't grasp it very well. But the longer I live, the more I tend to understand. It's not about here. So what is our challenge? Our challenge becomes, as Christians and as families, to stress that it's not about here. How do we do that? To stress spiritual over physical. To stress heavenly over earthly. To talk about spiritual things more than material things. How do we do this? The more attached we have become to here, the more difficult a time we will have with a messed up world. So let's come back to this matter of how do we handle prosperity. And this is kind of the part where we bring it into the time of the year. And this is the time where we say, yeah, world's in a mess. That's all right. God's in control. Times are not good in a lot of ways, but in a lot of ways, times are good. Why? God has blessed us. He does protect us. He does forgive us. He extends His grace to us. I love sitting down front this morning hearing the beautiful singing. I thought of how blessed we are to be here, and I thought of my friends in Lewistown, Montana, who are worshiping this morning with probably 30, and how they would love to just sit here and listen. I think about how many of you that would do anything for me if I were in need. I think about how many people I could go to who would pray and provide and hug and... God has blessed us. I think about a difficulty this time of year when the hardest thing to come up with is what we're going to give people who have everything. (laughs) That's the case, isn't it? Truly is the case. Why? Because God is good. God has blessed us. I think about what it's like to live where you don't have church family, where you don't have others who you could go to when in times of need. How do those people live? The support system that God has provided to us through His church, God has blessed us. We are prosperous. So how do we handle this prosperity without it ruining us? How do we handle prosperity and the challenges that come with it? It is indeed the case that as we look back over the messed up world that we live in and that has been throughout history, we have seen that prosperity has taken an awful lot of people down the wrong road. So what do we do about it during this time of year? How do we remain rooted in what matters? How are we not misled and keep from losing our focus. So I want to give some suggestions at this time of the year for us to think about and hopefully take home and change to a degree how we feel and what we do in the next few days. Number one, we need to be careful not to become too immersed in things. We need to become not, we need to become careful so that we're not too immersed in things. On on Monday of this week, I was in Humphreys County and I passed a church building, uh, Wildwood Valley, John, and on their sign they had a saying that I loved. And it said, the reason for the season is not at the mall. (laughs) 
And I thought, good for them. The reason for the season is not at the mall. It is so very easy for us to get cut up, caught up in the materialism of the day. Number two, may we make a concerted effort to stress the importance and blessing of family. Our children, no matter what age, need to hear often and see always that family is such a blessing. That home is a special place. That it become or be a place of refuge, not a place of unrest. That it is a place where we feel comfortable, where we feel secure, where we feel blessed. May we thank God often in front of them and for ourselves, for family. May we allow them to hear us talk of what a blessing we have in family. May we be reminded that the time together is more important than the gifts that are exchanged. May we talk of how God truly has given to us a blessing of family. And I know there's some hurting in here today because they've lost family members. Because their family has been torn apart. And if it were possible, maybe they should get up and tell this part of the sermon to us. That would be a very strong sermon preached, wouldn't it? May we be reminded, and their comment to us would very much be, do not take it for granted. How do we handle prosperity in this time of year? Number three, we turn our focus to those who are in need. To those who are in need. On Thursday night, Tina and I were blessed. We had the opportunity to participate in winter harvest, taking the gifts that she had collected from her second graders and their families to a, a family here in town. That feeling was better than any feeling we will have in receiving gifts. You know that. Many of you, so many of you are participating in this. You can't wait to go and deliver those presents and to deliver that love and to see that indeed it is more blessed to give than to receive. How do we handle the challenge of prosperity? Why did God make us prosperous? To focus on ourselves? To live in lives of ease? To have everything that we want? That's not why God made us prosperous, is it? And if that's the way we turn it, then we will follow the path of those who failed, I'm convinced. The life of prosperity in which we live, quite frankly, no matter where we are or how much we make based on the world standards, the lives of prosperity that we live were given to us so that we might help those who are in need and show the love of Jesus it is more blessed to give than to receive. How do we handle prosperity? Number four, we make sure that in everything we give thanks. That the words thank you, and especially the words thank you God, 
come from our lips often? And number five, how do we handle prosperity? We make everything in life about Jesus, not just Christmas. We make everything in life about Jesus. One of the things I think maybe we have not emphasized enough is this matter of making Jesus our Lord. His birth was, at the fullness of time, a special event. The birth of the Messiah, the birth of the King, the birth of the one who would extend grace to all mankind. His death was the mechanism in which he shed his blood and the ultimate opportunity for us to get a small glimpse of how much God truly loves us. Therefore, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 to 2. From chapter 11, the great faith chapter, the Hebrews writer reminded us that we have been surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Therefore, let us throw off everything that hinders and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, scorning its shame, And when it was all over, then he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Does the turmoil and evil in the world concern me? It does. Does it devastate me? No, it does not. This world's not my home. Do I sometimes worry about those who can hurt my family and me? I do. Do I panic because of this? I hope not and think not. I would panic if I and my family, and especially those close to me, were not close to God. Does the uncertainty of the future trouble me? It does a little. Does it consume me? I hope not. Why? God holds the future in His hand. God will not allow us to face more than we can bear. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12. And from Romans 8, verse 31, what can we say if God be for us, then who can be against us? I love that John led the song a few minutes ago, Be still and know that I am God. And that's what he wants us to do. And during this week, during this time, during the uncertainty of the days, may we be still and know that he is God. God is so good to us. We are so blessed. May we use both our blessings and our adversities to cause us to be closer to Him, to depend upon Him, and to be thankful that the Creator of all things, the all-powerful God, loves us so much that He gave His Son for us. If He would do this, He certainly will watch for us and ultimately bring us home which all in the grand scheme of things, when everything is said and done, is all that really matters. God blesses us here, but He especially will bless us in the hereafter. This morning, if you're not yet a child of God, we'd encourage you to take advantage of the way that God blesses us, enabling us to be His children. If you've fallen away and need the prayers of the church, then we're here to pray for you. It's part of how God has blessed us. If you need to respond this morning, we'd encourage you to do so while we stand and sing.